I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom. Like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. Hey there, it's Michelle Norris. I'm host of a podcast called Your Mama's Kitchen. When I travel, I'm usually looking for a way to find a taste of home when I'm not at home. And one of the things I love to do when I am at home is entertain. And Airbnb allows me to do that. When I was in California recently, I rented a house that had a great kitchen. And when we were sitting around the table, we're all thinking, we're in someone else's house. Someone could be in all of our homes as well. If you have a home, but you're not always at home, you have an Airbnb. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash host. Hello there, and welcome to this week's Untitled Film Podcast with Callum and Johnny. We really do need to start doing a jazz podcast or something. Um, uh, I don't know anything about jazz, is the problem that, with that That one. is a problem, but you have the voice for it. Well, yeah, maybe. <laughs> Listen to Rick Smooth, Smooth Jazz. <laughs> I'm sorry, I completely cut you off there. You did. Um, yeah, just welcome to this week's podcast. I'm Johnny as ever. And I am Callum as ever. And exactly. That's what or are we Alphaverse Callum and are we Alphaverse Johnny? Oh, who knows? Who knows? We might find a bit more about that in a bit and what Callum's <laughs> on about in case you don't know. If you haven't read the title, that is, or haven't seen the movie. Yeah, or well, haven't seen the movie, probably more likely. But um, Yeah. Um, and you can also get a sneak peek normally most weeks of what we are going to be reviewing in each preceding week. How? How can they do that, Callum? Well, you can head to Instagram or to Facebook and under Untitled Film Podcast, one word. You can find all sorts of exciting bits and pieces there. And yes, there is usually a sneak peek and you can ask us questions, send us messages. We do like it. And if you send us anything, anything other than promote it on whatever hack uh, Instagram, <laughs> I will personally respond to you. If you send anything other than that i will i will personally respond to whatever it is even if it's dumb even if, if it's like we hate you like thank you thank don't, you don't you find it sometimes funny when those promote ones are like um i haven't heard from you about you promoting your podcast on my <laughs> oh, oh, hack instagram yeah totally scammy website 
Yeah, absolutely. You haven't responded to my rambling, poorly syntaxed, poorly (laughs) grammatically incorrect, poorly spelled message without punctuation. What gives? I mean, the good news is we are getting big enough now that people want to ask us to do things like that. I guess so, yeah. yeah. So that is, I suppose, the exciting news. And let's get that follower count above 54, because we always lose one, then gain one. Lose one, <laughs> yeah, but that's then gain because one. you get loads of, like, fake ones appear. I'd rather have 54 real people, like you guys out there, than uh, 55 fake people. You get, like... Jenny from the block, 4357295523444777221. And if you click on the profile, it says, Hey, honey, I have lots of sexy pictures for you if you only you follow me back. It's a weird one, though, because I don't get that on my personal account. So why do we get it on I don't know. these? Anyway. I don't know. There's some algorithm. Uh, if you know, tell us on Instagram. Uh, anyway, I think we should move into more important things. And Callum, what are your first, more important thing this week? So there is some sad news to kick us off um, over the weekend. Very popular and loved character actor Lance Reddick died. And you would know him from The Wire, uh, the TV show Fringe, but probably more especially from the John Wick movies. In a way, his, his job in the John Wick movies are the hardest because... Uh, Keanu Reeves does all the cool stuff the fighting the stunts but without Lance Reddick's character the world wouldn't expand the world building kind of rests on his very ample shoulders because he's the hotel he runs the hotel that all these assassins go to and he has a very smooth voice very cool presence and I've been watching lots of clips from The Wire and he just has this withering gaze he, no one does a withering gaze better than Lance Reddick did. He was also one of the best guests on the Eric Andre show. Just, yes, just a random fact he is very funny. And he was also in a really underrated show called Corporate on Comedy Central. Very scathing satire. If you think like any of the Office satires that have come and gone, Office Space, the various versions of The Office, etc., this is blood-red satire. And he is, plays the boss, and he's really, really quite horrible. He's a horrible boss. Just like the film with Jason Bateman. But a lot better. (laughs) So he'll be very missed. Yeah, here's some sad news. On to some arguably sadder news. Oh, no. Ridley Scott is making a second Gladiator movie. I've heard about this. The good part of it is he has signed Denzel Washington up to be involved, but... Do you really need a second Gladiator? Did Gladiator not tell us in its like 400-hour runtime <laughs> everything we needed to know about also, I do Gladiators? like um, Paul Mescal and Barry Keenig. It's going to be, I think he's playing the villain. Mm. So, you got you know, they've poached from this year's Oscar nominees. They have, they have, in fairness to them. But, um, I mean, is is Russell Crowe going to come back being really fat? Like, is oh, he going to come back not. as like a giant? Like, boom, or a boom, ghost. Boom, yeah. Um, not quite sure. Sure, how that's going to work, but to be fair, I probably am more game for 2023 Russell Crowe to be in it than 20. Yeah, well, he's less thuggy and he's more kind of embraced, he's less of a dick. He's, he's, pretty, he's embraced, he's, pretty good fun kind of, these days. he's embraced the satirical side of himself, mm. he knows how ridiculous he is, and I think he's fully in on the joke now. I quite enjoyed him, I enjoyed him in that weird movie where he was like Road Rage, or whatever, I can't remember what it was called. You we saw it. 
Road Rage. Wasn't oh, yeah, Road Rage. yeah, yeah, yeah. That was like one of the first films to open after the, the pandemic. pandemic. And it's like this hour and a half. It wasn't called Road Rage, though. What was it called? Unhinged, that was it. It's an hour and a half thriller, no, no frills, meat and potato stuff, but it was kind of what the doctor ordered after months of being locked down. He was also okay in World's something beer run. I, oh, I didn't see that. It's 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 fine. It's it's Sunday. I would say it's Sunday afternoon movie. Is how if I was to review it. Fair enough. Five or six out of ten. Um, it got quite mauled, but I don't think it quite deserved a mauling. But it wasn't particularly exciting, either, like amazing either. I like the cast and Bill Murray is also in it. Yeah. Uh, yes, he is, but in a very small role in oh, a bar. Okay. He's like a bar. Bar. I think that's his life at the moment. Well, I think that may even be over now, but that's another story. Anyway, uh, but that was yeah my my first piece of news. How about you and your second piece of news? Well, something quite fun I saw. Um, I, I keep getting adverts for this on my Facebook, and it's a fashion brand, Saint Saint Laurent, and I kept... Yves Saint Laurent. Yes, sorry. <laughs> Fuck Saint Callum. <laughs> Saint Laurent. Saint Laurent. You <laughs> sound on fucking hell. Um, they've got this brand called the Director's Cut. Right. And their models include uh, David Cronenberg, Jim Jarmusch, Pedro Almodovar, and uh, there's another one. I always forget this one because he's more of a sort of cult filmmaker. And, Still laughing at your Saint Lorraine. And they, the advert doesn't name him. Oh, Abel Ferreira. They've put him dead last because he's the least well-known of the bunch. Wow. Interesting. <laughs> and I just keep getting these adverts and seeing these kind of well-dressed old men going, is this a movie? Or And then I clicked on the advert and it's the new spring-summer line. It kind of reminds me slightly of when, so BMW about, this would have been about 2003, 2004, did a series of films where they got big directors. So... Um, I know Guy Ritchie was one of them because the Guy Ritchie one had Madonna in it. Is that the one where Clive Owen was the, the driver? Yes, it was. So yeah, Clive Owen was, was the driver. Yeah, yeah. And they got lots of big directors. They did another one that had James Brown in called Beat the Devil and stuff. Okay. Um, and they were mostly pretty good, actually. Um, but that was a, a weird experiment. You can find most of them on YouTube to this day. So you can type in BMW Do you remember the that, driver. That was um, a fairly big deal for a bit. And what's your second bit? Of news. William Defoe opened to further return as Spider-Man villain Green Goblin. I mean, yeah. that's a great role. Yeah, he, he really he really enjoys that. Yeah, I'm intrigued to see what, like, if... I could, like, I could, like you could put him in Spider-Verse or something. I feel like you could start having some voices of the these characters. He'd be game for it, too. I think he would. I mean, who isn't game for doing voice work? Because it's... It's easy. Get to turn up in your pyjamas, unshaven. Well, if you're like an actor like him, like if you're a voice actor, it's a very hard yes. grafting job with lots and lots of... But like, if you're a famous person, you've been cast because they... Because of your voice, you just turn up and speak in your voice with yes. some sunglasses on. Exactly. Over probably for well, like, a lot of the time, I'm sure. And then often they don't even turn up. They probably just bring a microphone to your house. Well, especially since COVID, you know, they can probably do that quite easily. I think, was it Jenny Slate? It was someone I was listening to the other day was saying that they've like because of COVID, had to, like, fashion a room in the corner of, like, uh, uh, like a, a door um, to, to like, do voice work now because they, and like, where they've put, like, cushions against the wall yeah. and stuff and egg boxes and things. Well, I read interviews with the cast of Bob's Burgers and they said, well, we have a closet or a, or a cupboard that we've kind of put a bunch of soft things around mm. on, on the shelves. 
But yeah, that is my nice little piece of news. So, from that, we move on to the meat and potatoes of the podcast. Or for any vegans out there, the corn and potatoes. Um, what are we going to talk about this week, Callum? Well, we're going to be talking about, firstly, everything, everywhere, all at once. It just won all about the a million Oscars, Oscars. A million Oscars. And um, to counter it, we're going to be talking about Natural Born Killers, the very 90s Oliver Stone sort of MTV kind of um, stuff-a-thon. What is the connection? Um, kind of very vivid filmmaking, very obsessive ADHD um, jumpings, playing with style and, and format, genre, and genre, genre bending. Jumping, yeah. yeah, lots of lots of twisting and turning and doing fun stuff with genre and style and uh, very quick-cutting sort of uh, enterprise going on. Exactly, yeah. We thought they kind of worked well together. Yes, yes, we did. So, shall I or do you want to start off with... You can go for it. Okay, so... Everything you give me the hard one, eh? yeah. <laughs> Everything, everywhere, all at once. Good luck. Um, is about a uh, a family who own a dry cleaners doing their taxes. Well, that's technically not wrong. That's actually what it was. Um, I think it was the the when they didn't want to kind of give too much of it away, and when it was like in production, I think it was um, just a woman tries to do her taxes. Was the synopsis on IMDb? It's- Kind of funny. It is. Um, it is a woman tries to do her taxes. Um, and when she goes to do said taxes, suddenly realises that she is one of many versions of herself through the multiverse. Verse, verse, verse. And a version of her husband comes through the multiverse to tell her that she could be the saviour of the multiverse, of all, of all universes. Um yeah, I think that's... But I don't want to give too much away. I it's think. actually probably better to go too light than too heavy. Yeah, I think so. One. I think that is a fair synopsis. So, Callum, what did you think of the seven-time, I think it is, Oscar-winning movie? I just... With minor reservations along the way, I just adored it. Um, I Firstly, I love that it jumps around in different genres. So it's about this family, um, Evelyn and her husband and daughter and father who's flown in from China and they're trying so hard to keep their business afloat, they're doing taxes, they've got a party that they're going to be running for people in the community and that's when all this madness happens and as you said an alternate version of her husband comes through and tells her that he needs, she needs to save the multiverse and what I like you said, it's so economical And because of the director's attention to detail, as we mentioned in the previous episode, one of the two directors, Daniel Kwan, uh, found out through the making of this film that he had ADHD. And so you get to see how filmmaking works through someone who is neurodivergent, that it's crazy, but you never lose the threads. Like, even when everything is jumping around, it never quite... um, it never quite pulls you out into a different direction as possibly the, you know, spoil a little bit, the next film might at some points. Um, minor reservations just to get them out of the way. Could do with shaving five, ten minutes, something like that. A little bit, a little bit of time off. It is a little bit too long. Um, but really, I can't really fault it for much else. And 
on a philosophical point of view, I think it's very interesting because I, I watched it with my brother recently. He was a, a lot smarter about me um, than about this kind of, kind of stuff. And he said, it's really good that someone's got Nietzschean philosophy in a film without it being the way that it's perverted. And we sort of did this with the other big Oscar film that we reviewed, The Banshees of Inner Sharon. We talked about the uh, idea of stoicism, but stoicism that gets corrupted can be a very toxic thing. And here, this sort of Nietzschean philosophy can, when twisted with anger and bitterness, can become quite a destructive thing. There are the, the, th- the through line, if you like, the recurring phrase is nothing matters or none of this matters or some, so, some referring to that. And it's usually used in a, a bad context. Nothing matters. So let's just let this universe get taken apart. But through, you know, without spoiling any of the reservations, it can also show you the positive side. If nothing matters, maybe we should take care of what's tangible, what we can touch and feel. And, you know, it's quite a beautifully drawn conclusion, I thought, about that. It is a little bit of a hard movie to review because I don't want to talk about it too much in specific details because it will become a case of that bit. And when I say that bit, it kind of gives away some of the threads, if you like. So without kind of trying to over-egg things, Johnny, what did you think about this? Yeah, it was all right. (laughs) (laughs) Um, No, I also really, really liked it. I think it it was very deserving of its awards. Um, I think it did a lot with a little. You could tell, obviously, the budget wasn't massive and what they managed to do with that not massive budget was pretty incredible. Visually, it was very interesting. Um, lots of different sets, lots of different things. The acting pretty much all the way through was top notch. Actually, my least favourite person in it was probably Jamie Lee Curtis, who Same. was fine, she but is. she just didn't do a huge amount. And it's very much a um, uh, a, a legacy win. Mm-hmm. Whereas Stephanie Hsu is, was like... I loved her. She was so much better. Yeah. Like, she, her role was really kind of like quite meaty and... Um, again, not to give too much away, but in kind of uh, two parts, um, which is quite interesting. And none as well. of it would work without her. No, it really kind of her like emotions and things with a linchpin on it. I they think are. she was one of the. I think probably her and um, yeah, yeah. I think she was probably the 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 second lead almost, not quite from a amount point of view, but but no, absolutely. Because um, I watched a video time, es- but... essay recently where it said the husband character of Waymond. He's a beautiful character, but he doesn't have a character arc. And no, sort of and he's not less important. And again, as we kind of said, there's two versions of him. One of which doesn't have much of a character arc, but is maybe you know he's inter- from an acting point of view, it's quite an interesting challenge because he's had to make someone who the same person but to have two quite different um, vibes. And he did that very well. But like you say, yeah, it's not as built up a character where has um, Stephanie Hsu's character does have more more so so you know that i I thought she was excellent but now all the way through the call sheet the acting is great but yeah the jamie curtis is in a bit of a nothing role really yeah it's kind of fun but it's it's a pantomime yeah role exactly um so strange i kind of think it's strange that she won that but but that's not a criticism of the movie that's criticism of the oscars yes um i 100 percent agree with you i actually was going to say i think it's 20 minutes too long yeah, it's two it's, hours twenty minutes, and it could have been two. If in it was any two, case, it's certainly tighter. too long. Yeah, yeah. Um, that's my probably my single biggest criticism of it. Um, I did, uh, and I think it was partially it being too long. 
I did think it got a bit lost midway through the film and then had to kind of pull itself back. And I think that was, there was a point where it felt like it repeated itself two or three times. Okay. Um, And I think that's where the additional length came in to me in the middle. I thought that it did start to kind of lose its focus and lose its structure. And the same thing happened a couple of times when if you could have cut it out, it would have um, and kind of, yeah, cut a couple of middle scenes. I think it's where that kill your babies thing is. Visually, they probably look great and they probably great on paper and they were fun to film but actually maybe actually, I kind of agree because I think the moment and I don't mind sort of talking about this bit because it's been memed to death the bit that pulls it back is when you see a few versions of Waymond mm. throughout time and it's the uh, in another life I would have uh, loved to have spent time doing laundry and taxes with you that's and when it's one car Y kind of yeah, style, visual style even with a sort of juttery <laughs> slow motion yeah. and the green blue photography that's when it kind of kicks back in into gear and yeah. that sort of kind of uh, the domino effect of the emotional catharsis yeah. gets back on track. I, I, I kind of thought, and I know maybe it's kind of the point, but I kind of thought it could have done without one of the kind of karate scenes in maybe. the middle. Like that was where that, and then the first half of that arc, because again, I thought that arc, I loved it. I loved the visuals of it. I liked it kind of giving, it give, like you say, kind of gives momentum back to the film and kind of, corrects where the Nietzschean starts to to go off track yeah. in that that kind of um it goes more into almost um Camus kind of absurdistness in that kind of like well, nothing matters so why should I care kind of the, everything's absurd kind of thing um and then as you say kind of Nietzschean so that kind of self-destructive reading of Nietzsche yes Nietzschean philosophy, but yeah. Um, anyway, uh, it, it, and, and that kind of then puts it back on the, back on track. And so there's there is a bit there where I'm kind of I feel like it's getting a little bit too repetitive. Um, but otherwise, uh, it's also yeah, it, it bends genres very well. It's quite funny at times. As I say, it's really and again, it kind of there are obviously filmmakers that love a lot of different cinema and different things and in the different worlds, I kind of like how each one is done in kind of a very different cinematic style as yeah, well. And, and again, that, like the Wong Kar Wai yeah, kind of Yeah, it's very much so. And it's very and... loving towards each of those styles. Like the Kung Fu bit looks like an old Kung Fu It really movie. does, yeah. With the kind of like, or like on wires kind of like yeah. flying across the sky and stuff. Yeah, it does. No, it works well. Um, not to give too much away, but the hot dog fingers is <laughs> quite surreal and quite funny. And um, yeah. So no, it, it it really works. It really hangs together. My yeah, my single my single slight reservation is that it's twenty minutes too long, and I think it's twenty minutes too long because it loses itself and repeats itself a little bit in the middle. And maybe that's where a script editor or something might, you know coming in might have helped. Another it. trim or another go around. But I think that's the you know you got two auteurs who have been given a low budget and kind of can do what they want then. That 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 is a small price to pay for what is a, you know, one of the, one of the most exciting, interesting films of last year. It's incredibly original movie. I saw something funny is that um, people they asked uh, Oscar voters anonymously, "Why are you voting for what film for which award and for best original screenplay?" They'd say, "Well, there's no script more original than um, than." Um, everything everywhere all at once and people saying you know that's not what original means in this context yeah <laughs> oh well i still liked it so i'm still voting for it but it was i mean it was original it was it absolutely was not a sequel or it's not based on a book or it's not a, no yeah. absolutely and um uh, no it's just funny that uh, <laughs> <laughs> yeah people not quite understand any definition of original that's why they had to jam the two sound 
Oscars together into just best sound because no one understands really what the difference between <laughs> mixing and editing is. Yeah. I mean, that, uh, that was one thing, actually. I didn't think the soundtrack was particularly exciting. If I wanted to find another... Yeah, because to... it was nominated for... Did it win, didn't it? It won Best Sound. Oh, for Best Sound. Um, no, I think Top Gun for Best Sound and for Best oh, yeah. Music, it was, uh, I think... Um, oh, it was the... All Quiet in the Western Front, but it got nominated for both. Yeah. Yeah. It, it, it wasn't that exciting. But it was fine. Yeah. It, yeah. Was, it was passable. It was a couple of... I, I, it's something that I feel like I quite notice in films. Is, is A uh, nice, simple that. piano score and so not much else. Yeah, but that's, maybe that's budgetary. But no, it was, it was very innovative, very tight. Well, except mostly. When, except when it's not. Except when it's not. <laughs> very well put together. The visual effects work really well. All the acting is really good. Yeah, there's not much negative to say about yeah, it. Yeah, yes. And, um, you know, those often make for the reviews the, quite, the pithiest. Yeah, exactly. Excellent. And I think that probably ties us up very nicely for an advert break. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role like me. In a given month, over 70 percent of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com people today. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom. Like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. And welcome back. Well, I would buy that for no. a <laughs> No. Anyway, um, on to our second movie, which is Natural Born Killers. Yes, so this came out in 1994. It's an Oliver Stone film, um, right at the peak of that sort of MTV Gen X sort of filmmaking. Uh, it's about a, a spree-killing couple who, you know, after the um, the boy played by Woody Harrelson kills the parents of the girl. Uh, so that's um, Mickey and Mallory. And so after he knocks, yes, knocks, uh, uh, kills the um, parents of Mallory, they go on the run on the lamb. And yeah, it's kind of it really in terms of plot until the third act. Uh, Of course, as these films do, they get into a lot of fun and trouble. But what's really the thing to look at with this movie isn't the plot so much as the style, because it's made right in that middle of that MTV mixed media patchwork sort of style. So, Johnny, what did you think of Natural Born Killers? I've seen it before, um, and I always had it in my head as something I really liked, and I watched it again, I really liked it. Um, it, It's it's a bit of a mess at times. Um, Oh, absolutely. So it's based on a script by, I believe, Quentin Tarantino. Uh, The story, yeah. Oh, yes, it was based on the script. And he was given a story credit because I think they didn't end up using much of his script. script. Okay, fair enough. It kind of felt quite... 
Tarantino-esque at times. But then, obviously, they were, uh, as soon as um, Oliver Stone got involved, he was kind of, let's make this about the media. And you kind of can feel it pulling in two directions. I don't think Quentin Tarantino really cares about talking and doing an allegory for the media and violence. He's not a very allegorical filmmaker. He's He's really like, this is it, this is what it is. This is is cool, I like 1960s Japanese cinema. This is what I'm going to do now. So that's kind of obviously what Quentin's more like, whereas this is more Oliver Stone where he has to be saying something about something. Um, So you can, it is a bit of a mess. You can feel these two kind of forces fighting in it. And it becomes, it, it almost feels like two films glued together um it's so you kind of have the first two thirds and then oh, I and mean, we can spoil this one because it's the old film so you kind of get the first two thirds which is um vicky and mallory on the run which is all quite kind of fun and ultra violent and silly and then you and then it kind of peppers in this character these couple of characters of um a cop chasing them down and a journalist played by Robert Downey Jr. doing, oh, I think he's meant to be an Australian accent. I think it is, yes. I'm not quite sure what accent he's doing. Um, in the days when I'm pretty sure he was doing a lot of drink and drugs and is a very over-the-top performance. Um, and then it kind of cuts to them in jail and those two characters are given a lot more prominence and then it has the most scenery-chewing performance by Tommy Lee Jones ever, which I quite enjoyed, to be fair. Um and it does feel like two films kind of glued together. It could have ended with them dying in a shootout in, um, you know, at the end of the kind of second act and the third act almost feels a bit tacked on. But I and uh, but overall, I like it. it. It's very phonetic. And actually, you'd think the phoneticness would get really galling and grating, and I personally didn't find it that, which is a big problem with some of that kind of era of films. Again, where it kind of feels like two films glued together, it is a bit too long. Um, I think you could quite, could, could have trimmed 15, 20 minutes out of it. Um, but it's kind of very genre-bending. It kind of, although it kind of hits you over the head with a sledgehammer with the <laughs> message, it kind of does tell the message, I think. It kind of says, you know, uh, if we kind of show violence and stuff on TV and in the media and get off on ratings and get off on all these things, then you're probably only violence begets more violence, which I think is probably what Oliver Stone is trying to say at his core uh, and I think it gets that message across and I think all the acting and the central performances are really good. Yeah actually I'm pretty much in agreement um, I thought that I would be more annoyed by it because I'm not really a big fan of that sort of um, mid-90s MTV patchwork kaleidoscope um, mixed media thing bringing a little bit, bit of animation bringing a little bit of uh, black and white that was the one but I didn't think what was animation I thought that yeah. was very tactile the little bit when he does murder Mallory's parents it's done in the style of a 1950s sitcom like I Love Lucy which to me kind of worked because the fact that they oh, I like that they'd got in um, Rodney Dangerfield, Rodney Dangerfield to do it yeah he's perfect for that absolutely role absolutely no idea what was going on he's like I, I don't understand any of this what's going on what's going on here at all uh, he had, it was the same thing when he was doing Caddyshack, I think. So. Yeah, he had no idea what was going on, but it, it, no, it, it does work. And I agree with you, the, when they go to prison, the wheels come unstuck a bit and the momentum slows down as you focus on Robert Downey Jr. and the cop. And it's just a bit less fun. Uh, with them not around, or not around so Even much. Even with Tommy Lee Jones trying to spice yeah, it up a he, bit. he does what he can, but he's only one man. And um, Robert Downey Jr. is 
his accent and his performance is ridiculous. But again, he's all right. He's, he's a bit too OTT, I think, in the wrong direction. Yeah, and none of that half is as interesting. And because, I think when you make Juliette Lewis look like she's calm and collected, exactly, you're probably going to step too she's far. She's kind of uh, <laughs> drugged up. And and you separate Woody Harrelson and Juliette Lewis. And, you know, so a lot of what you're watching the film for just kind of goes away. And also it's a problem with it being contained in a prison so in the open desert which is where they're usually running around in doing that weird visual style and kaleidoscope sort of thing you get the space to do it but when you do it in a prison mm. it sort of just feels boxy suddenly so yeah it is a film of two halves one half is a lot better than the other and unfortunately it's in the wrong direction it'd be better to wow them in the end yeah and it's just unfortunate but the other thing as well again when they get in the prison you can't really start like projecting burning fire through windows and things in prisons it just it doesn't it visually feels a lot apart from like tommy lee jones's spit flying out of his mouth visually it kind of they do try but yeah it it calms down a lot what's interesting is the critical reception of this film it was so polarizing so roger ebert gave it four out of four he loved it but there are critics that put it on their worst of lists but there are also critics who put it on their best of lists it really did split people um, they uh, before the Razzies were a big thing, it was the Stinkers Awards, mm. and it won for Worst Actor for Woody Harrelson. But, really? But, um, He's actually good at that. the Venice Film Festival, Juliette Lewis won Best Actress. So it mm. really did cut people right, right in half. And I can kind of see why, because it it's a film that dares to have an opinion. It's yeah. not something you go, oh, it's all right. I like the car chase. I like the bit with the thing. And I like the bit with the thing. This is a film like you will come out of it with a strong opinion one way or another. And that's kind of fun. I like films that do that. Um, Something that did amuse me when I was looking at the cast list, looking, as you said, Robert Downey Jr. uh, at the time of his life when he was on a lot of drugs. So you have Woody Harrelson, Juliette Lewis, Tom Sizemore, and Robert Downey Jr. Imagine the mountains of cocaine that were being gone through on that set. I get the feeling that possibly and Oliver, uh, Stone, Oliver Stone, Stone as yeah. well. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, them, I mean that whole production must have been fueled. The fresh flowers <laughs> budget was high. Yeah, <laughs> it must have been fueled by clouds of white just coming off. <laughs> to be fair, it looks like it on the screen. Oh yeah, the dilated pupils <laughs> all around. Yeah, fisheye lenses. It, do you know what it kind of as well, cinematically more so than anything Oliver Stone has done before, is it kind of very much reminded me of um, kind of Terry Gillian in that kind of like it, yeah, very much so. wide angle lenses, close up, very surreal. And actually, ironically, Robert Downey Jr.'s performance kind of reminds me of um, uh, of Brad Pitt in 12 Monkeys, which again, yeah, I always yeah. thought was maybe one dial on the acting notch too high. Possibly. And it's kind of that kind of like very chewing the scenery, You're spitting, right. twisting the arms. It doesn't really and... look like a Oliver Stone film because as much of a, a cocaine fueled man he was, he was more restrained than this. Yeah, I mean, look at I mean Wall Street or Platoon. Yeah, even very a Platoon has some moments of madness, like it flares in the eyes of, mm. of um, um, the baddie as he's just about to kill Charlie Sheen. You know, that's a very much like, well, that's an eighties move, isn't it? I did. Th- I don't remember the exact number but i think it said something like an average one of his average movies has something like um like 2.7 cuts a minute and this has like 
17 or something like, <laughs> it, it was like it was it, it it was very different to how he'd filmed things in the before before and the way all that kind of like back projection things is done is very yeah, different to anything i've seen him do before. and also it had a sort of sometimes a woozy sort of almost improvisational feel yeah. like when they got married on the, the bridge and gave each other the rings that kind of felt like something they were just making up i'm sure it wasn't or maybe it was, but uh, it felt it almost at odds with its kind of very stylized thing. So I like little moments. But I like think that. that was it on purpose. I think that was like that was them being real with each other. Whereas a lot of the other times, it was are they on drugs? Are they tripping out? Are they you know what is going on in their heads? Are they drunk? Are they this? And it it kind of was meant to feel very surreal and all over the place. It's and a fantastic moment as well in the desert with snakes. Mm-hmm. And that that's very Terry Gilliam. Um, but no, that was sort of like when the film was really at its kind of height, at its pow- mm. full power. It was it was very um, kind of trippy, very you know, kind of out there. It was bold cinema in bright red, you know, primary colours. And so you know, at its height, you know, for all of its moments where in the last half where it comes a bit unstuck, at its height, it's really firing on all cylinders. It really does go in hard and i really have to appreciate it for that yeah i know i agree i think it is a really yeah really fun i think it's quite fun for something that's so ultra violent and, and banged you over the head with a message so hard it's quite fun as well which is you know you maybe don't expect and i think that's where there's more overlap with everything everywhere all at once than yes because at, at their core you know everything all at once is very emotional and, you know, it's about, at the end of the day, it's about this family that's falling apart, really. That's its core. But actually, it's it's also a lot of fun. <laughs> you kind of don't expect it. And this is about two serial killers who drive around killing everybody. And you're meant to be going, yeah, the media's bad. But actually, it's a lot of fun as well. Yeah. <laughs> Which and maybe it's like the opposite of what you're meant to think. Well, they're both <laughs> films with a philosophy. They're yeah. both films that are clearly having a good time telling you their story and are doing so in a very original, visual stylistic way Mm. that owes a lot to other types of filmmaking so you know there are more links than one might expect i can't believe they gave um rudy Howson, who i thought was one of the more strained performances in the movie (laughs) (laughs) like the equivalent of a razzie yeah yeah the stinkers award uh maybe a nomination but but still you know come on I mean, really, he's just playing Woody Harrelson. How can you not like that? I think the problem is the people that, like, it's one thing not to put it on, like, your top ten movie of the year list. Fair enough. And, you know, maybe it's not that level. But to say it's one of the worst movies of the year is crazy. I've I've got some of the... um... Name them and shame them because they (laughs) are so clearly wrong. Just from an objective point of view, from a filmmaking point of view, like, it did so many interesting new things. So uh, the year-end lists on Wikipedia jams them all together. So should I do the best and worst? Yeah, let's do it. Okay, so uh, year-end list. Second best for the Milwaukee Journal. I won't name all the journalists because they will be here forever. Uh, only when it's important. Eighth best for Roger Ebert for the Chicago Sun-Times. That's about right, I reckon. Um, Two eighth bests for both the Palm Beach Post and the Munster Times. Top ten not ranked for the Birmingham News. Honourable mention, Los Angeles Times. uh, Two more honourable mentions for the Tulsa World and the Denver Post. Mm -hmm. And uh, actually another uh, honourable mention for the Spokesman Review. But then we get to the worst. Uh, best worst movie that's more of a fun one for Miami News Times worst movie Peter Travers Rolling Stone worst movie wrong <laughs> The Pantograph second worst wrong. Staten Island 
Advance, Wrong. 10th worst San Jose Mercury News, Wrong. 10th worst Salt Lake Tribune, Wrong. worst film not ranked for the Buffalo News, and Wrong. top four, four worst not ranked for the Baltimore Sun. Wrong. So it just goes to show it's funny that it really had mm. strong, strong, strong opinions. You either really went to bat for it or you didn't. It kind of reminds me, of, I think it was Breaking the Waves that Lars von Trier did, and he did a website where... One page you put, again, it was a very polarising yeah. film. One side of it, you put everyone who hated it and one side of it, you put everyone who loved it um, as a, like a way of, of balance. And I kind of respect that in a way. Yes. And I do sometimes think that maybe a polarising, anyone can make Avatar Way of the Water where everyone goes, oh, it's three-star grey. Yeah, exactly. Like, it's sometimes a polarising film. I mean, how many Marvel fun. movies get 90-something percent on Rotten Tomatoes? But when you look at all the reviews, it's all like, Three stars, mm. three and a half, two and a half stars. They're mildly positive. Yeah, exactly. You get none of that here. No. It's I do think I think that I'm almost surprised that everything everywhere all at once wasn't a bit more polarizing because it is kind of strange and difficult. And I think it was the right movie for the right time. Yeah, it came possibly. out at a time when I think people were getting a bit fed up with mm. the same sort of movie. Actually, this came out roughly about the same time as uh, the new Doctor Strange, which does the same thing. And Jamie Lee, Curtis, yes, uh, Jamie Lee Curtis put out a post saying, we're cleaning Doctor Strange's clock. You know, we are the multiverse movie to watch right now, not Doctor Strange. So I think people, firstly, were getting bored of multiverses mm. and we're getting bored of bland cinema. So this came along and said, all right, let's show you how to do it, Sonny. Yeah. I think it's interesting it's A24's biggest movie now as well, which surprises me because some of the horror films they've had are pretty big as well. I think with horror films, though... There's a a certain audience. There's certain audiences that will see them, but other people will stay well away. Mm. So I think even the biggest horror film is going to have some audiences kind of standing at arm's distance. They've probably got less repeat value as well. Exactly. In the short run. Anyway, I think that probably, unless you've got any more to say... No, I I think that sort of wraps us all up there. Perfect. So... First off, Callum, a little wrap-up and score for everything, everywhere, all at once. I was jumping between two scores, and if I was being totally honest, I would give it a 0.5 on something, but no, we can't hear. <laughs> you can't have 10, I know. that's just too far. No, I'm not going to do 10, um, but it's between 8 and 9. Um, and if I was sort of kind of perfectly honest, it would be probably an 8.5, but of course we have to pick one. Mm. So I think just for sheer audacity, originality... And fun, I'm going to go on the higher end and go for nine. I actually was having the same quandary, but partially, and this is probably maybe shouldn't come into it, but because of also where I wanted to review the other film. And I kind of think that this is that everything everywhere all at once is better, is a better rounded film. So it deserves a modicum higher, but I actually really like Natural Born Killers. Um, I've always liked it. I like the performances in it. I think it. I think for its time, it was quite groundbreaking. I think it probably actually, I think MTV copied it more than it copied MTV. Put so it that which way. form are you reviewing that? I know. <laughs> <laughs> so I am also going to give Everything Everywhere All at Once a nine, which probably gives you a clue to what I'm going to give Natural Born okay. Killers, but yeah. Uh, so for Natural Born Killers, just because it does come a little unstuck at the end, so dock it a little bit, a little bit for that. So I'm going to go for an eight, but I may have gone as high as a nine had the second half been as consistent as the first, but it's thoroughly enjoyable throughout. Um, Kaleidoscopic, goofy, bold. It plays by its own rules and that annoyed people and I always like that. So go for an eight out of ten for it. I'm also giving it an eight, which is why I gave 
everything was <laughs> a nine because I was like, I don't want to give Natural Born Killers a seven. It deserves more than a seven. But I didn't want to give them the same score because I thought I do think that as a like sanded off around the edges, despite it being a little bit too long in the middle, everything everywhere all at once is probably the slightly better movie. Because, like you say, that last act, the, the wheels do start. To the, I yeah. don't think the wheels fly off, but the wheels, the, the tyres start to deflate. Yeah, it, it comes a little bit, you know, to, we're mixing our metaphors now, but it, uh, it does, it comes a I'm little bit... I'm not mixing un- my metaphor. It comes a little bit unstuck. It, it, yeah. like, uh, it, it does start to lose, lose its way a bit, I think. Absolutely. Now, I think it, yeah, I, I think it, it works, but it, it doesn't like, it doesn't stick the landing perfectly. And like you say, like if it had a stronger last third, it would be up there. It would be a nine. If someone had given Robert Downey Jr. kind of a cold bath, a coffee... And... Not a coffee, he doesn't need any Oh, more. no. Uh, t- maybe <laughs> a chamomile t- tea. Taken away his <laughs> medicine, then maybe it would be all right. And said, you know, you don't have to go for the accent, Rob. No? <laughs> yeah. Possibly Australian. Anyway... Um, yeah, so for one rare occurrence, we have both agreed on both movies. Very, very enough. of agreement here. Yeah. Good stuff. So actually, both I would say both watches um, go out there. Um, they are, Everything Ever All at Once is available in the UK on Amazon Prime. I don't know where it is available anywhere else, but in the UK it's on Amazon Prime. And Natural Born Killers was on Disney Plus and I think Amazon Prime, Prime as well. Yeah, you had your choice. You have your choice. So get out there and watch them if you haven't seen them. Um, tell us what your thoughts are on our Instagram and have a great week. Have a good one. Bye. Bye.